everybody, and welcome back to the North American Soccer Show. This is episode four, looking back at the round of 16 and quarterfinals of the MLS's back tournament and taking a look ahead at the semifinals that are coming in the next few days. My name is Dylan Baker, and I'm your host. Joining me, as always, is Chris Smith. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thank you. And Brady Reed. Brady, good to have you back. Appreciate it, Dylan. Glad to be here. Um, so, Brady, I know in before we started recording, there were a couple of things that you wanted to touch on with the uh, NWSL and the uh, Canadian Soccer League. So, uh, before we really get into uh, taking a look back at the knockout stages of this tournament, uh, I'm going to hand it over to you. Uh, that way we can get into some of the things that you want to bring to the table, and uh, we'll rock and roll from there. Yeah, before we kind of deep dive into the tournament, I mean, obviously the, the MLS is back. has has kind of been the main focus for us the last few weeks, but... You know, I thought it was kind of my due diligence to mention the, the Canadian Premier League is is going to have a little little bubble tournament of their own just just two days after the final in the MLS. They're going to kick things off August thirteenth. So, you know, whether you're a supporter of Canadian football or, or, or you're intrigued to to check it out, be it a, a listener from Europe or the US, I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a, it's a developing league and it's a new league and, and it's an exciting time for for fans of the sport in in, in this country and. Also, I wanted to just give a quick kudos to the NWSL as well. I think they did a tremendous job of, of, of kind of making the most of a, of a tournament when, when a season kind of looked like it might have been in jeopardy. And, and, and shout out to the TV ratings they received. They were historical highs, and, and that's great to see for, for the women's game and, and for the game in general in, in North America. And, and uh, a special shout out to Houston Dash and, and, and Sophie Schmidt, the Canadian midfielder who scored the penalty in the final. So another another great moment for Canadian soccer in recent memories. And if I remember right, also throughout that entire tournament, no coronavirus cases out of all the tests run on the women's league. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, within the actual tournament, they uh, they didn't have any any cases. They They had a pretty sticky situation before things started with the Orlando team and Ultimately, they made the smart decision to to move into an eight team tournament, and, and and obviously that paid off. Obviously, not ideal for for Orlando, but you know, hopefully, when they when they get things back underway, be it at some point in twenty twenty or for a twenty twenty regular season, we'll see you know every team back in it, and and just uh, another another step forward for for the league. If that doesn't showcase at all that women are smarter than men, I really don't know what does. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um I think it's a good sign that the the bubble method's working as well um across North America. So you you're hoping that the CONCACAF Champions League can get going again soon. Maybe they'll they'll follow a similar format. I know that the Champions League in Europe's doing the same thing as well. So I think I think all the North American leagues have done a, have done a great job in paving the way for everybody else. To be honest, I just, just wanted to throw that in there quick as a sort of a bit of a t- tip of the cap moment. Absolutely. Well, and it, 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 talking about this also gives us the opportunity to to address with our listeners that we've that we've uh, garnered in the first four episodes. Now that just as a reminder, this is the North American Soccer Show, not the MLS Show. So, despite the fact that we've put out almost exclusively MLS content, uh, as we move forward into leagues that are going to be restarting, uh, whether it be the NWSL, the USL, the Canadian Premier League, all the way through opening it up to uh, CONCACAF teams once international play really returns. We are going to get quite a bit more broad. We're going to touch on a litany of different topics that would be of interest to you or interest to friends of yours. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to be bringing some really special stuff for you in the coming weeks and months, and we're really excited to do that. 
Now, despite the fact that I just said that this show is not just about MLS, let's talk MLS. I want to look back first and foremost to what's happened this week. And I think one of the nice parts about being in the knockout stages of this tournament is that uh, it's been it's been a lot more condensed as far as the matches that we've we've had to watch in order to really bring good coverage to you. The first thing I think that I want to start Chris and Brady off with here is uh, let's talk about some upsets. Toronto FC lost three to one to New York City. Seattle lost four to one against Los Angeles, and Columbus Crew went down three to five on penalties after a one-one draw in regular time with Minnesota. They all go out in the round of sixteen. After battering Real Salt Lake five to two in the round of sixteen, San Jose gets almost reverse, reversely beaten just as bad four one by Minnesota United and Los Angeles FC, who we've talked over the past few weeks as a, potentially a big favorite for this tournament. They get taken to penalties by Orlando City after drawing one one in regular time, and uh, and and they go out four to five on penalties. Chris, I'll start with you. We spoke last week about the MLS and its entertainment value on a domestic, on a regional, and on a global scale. When we spoke last, there were a couple of matches that we spoke about during the group stages that really we 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 tried to showcase that entertainment value. But really, these knockout stages. It, this has to be the perfect sample size of a week to showcase that that value to viewers everywhere. Is 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 that kind of how you felt after this strangely roller coaster week as we march towards the semifinals? Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the start of the tournament, I started off a Twitter thread of um, of predictions on the group stage games, and I'd give up after was like the second round of fixtures because I, I was just. <laughs> I was hardly getting anything right. It was just because it was becoming really frustrating, to be honest. It's it's a league you just can't predict. I mean, I was talking last week about how the the model that MLS works under allows everyone to compete more evenly. Um, the knockouts have been another great example of why. Uh, who'd have predicted Orlando getting past LAFC or Minnesota getting to the semifinals? You know, you you say LAFC have gone out. You've seen Atlanta United go out in the groups. You know, you've seen Seattle out really early so don't see that many shocks to that level in Europe anymore in my opinion it's it's very rare that that happens especially so frequently frequently all at once and um, it's something that seems to pop up quite a lot in MLS and I think it's a great part of the entertainment just game to game not knowing really what's going to happen it makes it brutal for a supporter, Brady. Uh, you know, I, I know we're going to come to touch on uh, specifically some of the Canadian teams and and even more specifically Toronto uh, here after a while. But it makes it it makes it brutal for a supporter of one of these big teams. You know, because just like Chris had said, when when you look at the DFB Pokal or when you look at you know the FA Cup over in Europe, you you can usually guess through the first few rounds who's going to make it through and who's not, you know, and, and, and I, I understand that the, the, the format of a lot of those competitions are very different to not only generally speaking, the way the MLS does things, but also with this tournament in a, in a narrowed perspective, it is, it is very different, but on the same token, when you get to the round of 16, when you get to quarterfinals, um, you start to see, you start to see better competition facing better competition, but on the same token, it's it's really the big teams that you can almost expect to make it through every single time. And when you look at LAFC, when you look at Seattle Sounders, when you look at Toronto, when you look at especially this the for this tournament and, and looking forward to this season, Columbus Crew, 
supporters of those sides probably find this the this sort of topsy turvy anything can happen aspect of of American soccer and the MLS uh, a bit rough to deal with. But from you know especially an outside perspective or a neutral perspective or fans of the U.S. men's national team who just so happen to be tuning in to see you know what's going on in MLS that certainly has to make it a fun watch. Yeah, I think that's one of the it's one of the big dilemmas with Major League Soccer is is parody is perhaps you know one of its great appeals and, and defining characteristics, but also maybe its its biggest flaw, especially when it comes to you know attracting viewers from from European markets who, like you said, are used to kind of the normal where these these runs in the FA Cup from you know minnow sides they do happen, but they're, they're they almost seem to be the norm in Major League Soccer, especially in this tournament. So. You know, as a neutral or as, as a you know as a, a journalist covering it, it certainly makes for for some interesting some interesting rewrites and some and some fun match analysis. But I think it would be naive to say that you know you can enjoy these games and and you know respect Major League Soccer without you know kind of acknowledging it, its its flaws. I don't think many people would argue that we're on par or or, or beyond these European leagues, but. You know, with the, with the with the number of young players that that are being scouted by some top clubs across Europe within Major League Soccer, obviously there's there's some interest there, despite some of these lopsided score lines and some some wacky kind of tactics that we see. So I've I've certainly enjoyed it, and and I hope people in North America and people across the globe have been kind of taking it for what it's worth and and just kind of enjoying the ride like I have. Well, for anybody who was tuning in, um, you know, as the as the Bundesliga wrapped up a few weeks ago, as uh, Serie A is coming to a close uh, today, as we're recording, um, as the Premier League came to a close last weekend, for anybody who's tuning in to get their soccer fix, this was the week to do it. Brady, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you. In this last week, who was the most surprising team to bow out early in this competition, whether it was in the round of sixteen or in the quarterfinals, and why? I think it's got to be LAFC. Um, I know they were playing in this tournament without Carlos Vela, and some people might have taken that to be, you know, a, a serious concern with regards to their chances of winning. But I, I still had them pegged as as a serious contender and, and, and probably the, the consensus favorite. So, you know, they might have reached the quarterfinals, and they certainly, you know, had some great performances, especially you know that six hole match against the Galaxy. who have got their own issues, but. Yeah, to go out against Orlando was certainly one that surprised you know me and the odds makers, and we'll, we'll kind of dive into that one a little later in greater detail. But uh, they just they they looked a little lethargic on the night. But I don't want to take anything away from Orlando, but I'm not sure that was the best version of Bob Bradley's side. So I I, I think he'll certainly be disappointed with with the quarterfinal, especially for a new team who's still trying to establish herself and, and and pick up some silverware. I thought they had a real chance to to possibly win it all here. And Chris, what about you? Do you agree that LAFC was the 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 shock of the last week, or did did somebody else surprise you even more? Well, yeah, obviously LAFC is a, a huge shock. Uh, the, the more the tournament went on, I think everyone had them had them down, as, as Brady said, as as the winners. But I think to, to dig another one out and, and point to another one, uh, Columbus Crew's got to go down as a huge shock as well. Uh, we, we talked about them at length last week, uh, done a couple of articles on them myself, uh, when, when we were only saying the last episode that they looked like the one team that, that didn't have a flaw, that you thought you couldn't find a weakness, and there you go, Minnesota go and knock them out. Yeah, you got to say hats off to Adrian Heath, he got his tactics spot on, 
for Ozzy Alonso and, and Grey Goose did a great job in the in the midfield, sort of keeping the crew's creative players quiet, keeping Dallington Nagby in sort of safe areas where he can't do any damage. But I think I don't think I was the only one that had the crew down to at least make say the semi final. Um, so to see him go out and they did, yeah, that that was a big shock. Chris, I'll stick with you here to expand on uh, one of the one of the teams that I that I wanted to discuss a little bit, um, and and that one for you is FC Cincinnati. Uh, you wrote earlier this week that Yop Stam came in wanting to bring attractive soccer and a and a certain swagger to Cincinnati, but he's had to change gears given with what he has to work with at the club. How do you think Stam and Cincinnati will look back at this tournament in reflection of their performances moving on to, you know, what will become the, the remainder of the regular season? Well, obviously the, the opener against Columbus wasn't exactly ideal. You know, getting smashed 4-0 by your local rivals isn't how you want to get underway again. But I think Yapstam obviously learned a lot of lessons from that. You know, he, he found out very quickly that you can't bring this Cincinnati team out to try and match a team like that toe-to-toe in midfield. They just got outmaneuvered and outrun. Um, it's where a lot of the goals came from. Just trying to match them in midfield, they got they got turned really easily. Following that, he changed his shape. It, you know, he, he went back into that 5-3-2 system, but it was incredibly narrow. Everyone was packed behind the ball. It pretty much resulted in the opposition having to funnel the ball out wide and then just knocking crosses into the box because they just couldn't play through Cincinnati centrally. Um, I think if you've got someone like Kendall Waston playing as a centre half, he's going to gobble them crosses up all day, and it just it just plays straight into their hands. Um, we've seen as well that they've got a few difference makers further forward now. We know the likes of CM Diong, Jurgen Lacardia, you know Frankie Myers had a good tournament, um, and I know he's got his mobility issues, but Harrison Junior, when he get him get him on the ball, he's he's a talented footballer, and he's more than capable of sort of feeding those forward players with, with a quick ball. So, yeah, okay, they, they went out, but they got further than they thought they would. Uh, they learned lessons from the one big defeat, could have easily got themselves further. And I think from a point where we were still all saying that Cincinnati are pretty much the worst team in the league, the fans have got real hope for 2020 now that they can they can at least push to try and scrape into the playoffs, if nothing else. I, I think... Um, I think if you'd have offered that to Cincinnati fans this time last year, I think they'd have, they'd have took your arm off for that now. Well, and you'd have to say that you know, especially that the the one the one image that had been going around that really showcased that Yapstam may have reinvented the low block and gone a step further with a with an incredibly low block. You know, you have to think, you know, just like you said, as Cincinnati fans, understandably that can't be fun to watch but on the same token as as they as they are entering their sophomore season and they're 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 trying to figure out just exactly who they want to be and who they want their team to be and how they want them to play you have to say that if this is something that gets results and can get them through a couple of transfer windows as not the worst team in the league and 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 get them get them some players that will allow for that attractive style of play to emerge over the course of you know two or three seasons then you'd have to assume that most fans would find that acceptable. Yeah, I mean, I wrote in my article that Stam's actually kind of, all right, maybe not for a Cincinnati fan sort of watching it, but for a, at least for a neutral, he's kind of made, made parking the bus really fun because the other team's just piling this pressure on and piling it on. And you're thinking at some point they have to break. They, they can't just keep defending like this, but they do. 
Um, they, they just keep getting a body in the way. They keep making a block, keep winning their aerial duels, keep getting a tackle in. So, understandably, yeah, it could be a bit nail-biting for a Cincinnati fan, but I mean, for us neutrals, it was, it was great fun. Um, more to your point, I think it's a it's a way of playing that at least Cincinnati fans can be more proud of because they're not sort of rolling up anymore, still being defensive, but with no organisation, getting whacked four and five nil. At least now they're turning up with the sort and being defensive, but it's really organised. It's a concerted effort to play to their own strengths, even without the ball. So yeah, I think I think fans can be really proud of it and, and hopeful for the rest of the season. I've always been of the of the sentiment that a boring nil nil draw is still better than, like you said, getting thumped five nil. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brady, please. I'll switch to you with um, with Toronto. Uh, we joked on Twitter this past week that all of the Canadian clubs, after give, after us giving them big ups on last week at week's episode, we even had a specific section dedicated to it. They had to go and expose us as paupers here at WFI, as each one of them bowed out of the round of sixteen. They all lost, but. I'd say it's. it would be remiss of me to not unfortunately throw you that Toronto put in the worst performance of that lot against an NYCF side that we have absolutely pilloried on this podcast since it began. What's your take on... What needs to be done, if anything, you know, if you think that this is sort of a, you know, a one-off performance and a knockout stage and, you know, Toronto are really, you know, looking like they're still a pretty solid team, then that's great. But if you do think that things need to be done, what is it as they prep for the rest of the regular season? First of all, yeah, I mean, the, the predictions, uh, like as you said, we, we gave all three sides kudos and then, you know, they're, they're gone within a couple of days. So the prediction side of it is, is the reason why I'm a journalist and not a gambler. And I just, you know, there's, there's no money in it for me. I, I'm not so good at that side of it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think it would be naive to call this a one-off per se. Um, I think this was a healthy combination of, of, of Toronto FC obviously not showing up on the day and then also New York proving that perhaps we were a little too harsh on them and, and they were kind of just finding their feet under under Ronnie Dyla and obviously you know I, I get I get the Toronto side of it and and it was very heavy about the the shortcomings of TFC but I think New York deserve a lot of praise for the way that they played in this one and they certainly got their tactics right and and they pressed heavy they pressed high they they didn't allow for for Michael Bradley or or Pozuelo to get on the ball very often. And, and they forced some players on Toronto FC or perhaps not as comfortable kind of building out of the back to, to try to make that move. And, and, and they exposed a couple of their weaknesses that way. And, you know, and Ben, people were pretty critical of Greg Vanny to give, you know, young Canadian and in Jaden Nelson, his, his debut in, in such a, such a high stakes game, but, you know, not to, not to kind of give them a, a get out of jail free card here, but I wonder you know, with the three group stage games being regular season matches and, and actual points being on the line, I wonder if, if that wasn't their kind of priority to to pick up the points for, for, for the latter stages of what will be ultimately a, a regular season when we get back going. And, you know, anything else after that might have been gravy because they didn't really look up for it. And I don't want to make excuses for them, but, you know, that's 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 something I, I've certainly considered having, you know, had a, had a week or two to kind of think about how it all played out and yeah, like I said, I, I I don't want to dismiss what New York did. I thought they were, they were the much better team, and they certainly deserved it. But I, I'm not particularly concerned about Toronto FC moving forward. They're not they're not a perfect team by any means, but they're going to get some guys back that they were missing through injury, and 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 I think they're still one of one of the stronger teams in the Eastern Conference for me. 
to to touch on something that we spoke about before the podcast since we're on the topic of, of Toronto FC and, and the Canadian teams once again um, you, you you spoke to me before we started recording about what the restart of the season might look like for the Canadian teams because uh, essentially you know for those who don't know one of the one of the main issues that uh, the Canadian teams are facing is that outside of this you know bubble style tournament um, if they travel to really anybody uh, in the United States, once they come back, they have to quarantine for two weeks. And that's not really conducive to finishing out a season or or restarting a season or, or anything of the sort. So one of the things that's being talked about right now is that for a period of time, uh, you know, undetermined um, and not really sure if it's going to end up going this way anyway, but for a, for a period of time, the Canadian teams would just play each other. And that's how they would be able to accumulate points over the course of the season that's how um, you know they would be able to uh, keep with the schedule without necessarily slowing down or being interrupted. And then, of course, at some stage later on, uh, you know, once once restrictions are lifted and quarantine rules are, are are dialed back a little bit, then they could continue on with their more traditional conference and outer conference play. Um, I just want to briefly get your take on on that as an idea, um, as well as how you think that would affect the the seasons of 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 a, of a Vancouver Whitecaps or the season of a uh, of a Montreal Impact who are basically forced to play Toronto FC um who have clearly been the best Canadian team for a few years now basically every other game yeah first of all i just wanted to make sure you know that the kudos kind of went to the athletic here they're the guys who've who've been kind of breaking these stories upon, you know, what we might see when we get back to action. Obviously nothing's been confirmed with the, with the tournament still ongoing, but yeah. So that was one of the, uh, that was one of the ideas they suggested. And and we've seen with major league baseball that, you know, these Canadian teams, you know, heading down to the, uh, to the U S and, and kind of traveling freely as opposed to a bubble. We're just, we're not at a stage where, where that's probably the best option. So obviously it's, you know, it's not ideal, but, there's very little about what's going on in the world of sports, let alone soccer is ideal right now. We're kind of improvising and adapting with the time. So I think it's an option that makes sense to explore. Uh, I'm not sure about the logistics with regards to, you know, kind of perhaps Toronto FC uh, getting an opportunity to play against some weaker competition with, with due respect to both Vancouver and Montreal. I'm not sure other teams would be too happy about about them getting to play them say you know four or five times in a season whereas it would usually be just just the once or maybe two times so there's definitely a lot uh, a lot of balls up in the air and it's it's far from far from a done deal but you know from a from a canadian standpoint the opportunity to see these teams play each other more often than than we might typically see is obviously exciting so you know yeah i think i think before this tournament is out we'll have some more clarity on, on what that might look like um so yeah, I mean, an opportunity to see major league soccer teams within Canada facing off is is obviously something that uh, that I'll welcome, and and hopefully that's that's the mindset for for many others across Canada. Yeah, I think as you as you touched on there, Brady, I think I think the biggest losers out of this really would be again with with no disrespect meant Vancouver and Montreal, but. At this point, you know that the world's in such a state that I think everyone's just trying to put a plaster over any wound that they, they can at the moment. Um, yeah, it's a bit radical, but if if this idea keeps games going for now, keeps players on the pitch, keeps points going on the board, I think everyone's just got to get used to the idea that this season's going to be a bit disrupted, and we'll get a season. It might not look like a normal season, but if it plays through to completion and we get a winner at the end of it. 
happy days and then let's move on. I, th- I think that's the way everyone's got to approach it at the moment. Well, and I think one of the interesting things about about this is is that because of the way that the MLS is set up with the playoffs, it 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 may very well imminently matter less than what we would initially think that it would because you know if Toronto FC were to pick if they were to win every single game against Vancouver and every single game against Montreal uh with with big goal differentials in each match and then we get to the end of the season and that points accumulation has put them f- clear at the top of the uh, of the Eastern Conference then you know, if the season ended there, then yeah, I'm sure there would be some uproar. But because we're this is the MLS, and because this is a, a United States uh, league that we've got these Canadian teams playing in, that we have the playoff system. So it'll be interesting to see if there is any real issue with that going forward. If that's what we need to do to keep the MLS going in this in this post coronavirus, or you know, realistically with the way that the United States is right now in this coronavirus world then there's a way out at the end for other teams to bring success to themselves past Toronto's extra point accumulation. Well, the thing to remember as well is we've just spent 10 minutes talking about how many shocks you get at MLS. So who's to say that the Impact don't win every single game and Toronto are playing for draws by the end of that series? So you never know. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, you don't. (laughs) Well, based on our predictions thus far in this tournament, this this next portion of it probably isn't going to go very well, but we're going to try and keep the predictions to a minimum so we don't look even worse. Let's look ahead to the semifinals uh, and and really the rest of the tournament as it it looks to finish up before we record next. Uh, Chris, I'm going to stick with you here to begin. It felt like Minnesota United had kind of snuck into the latter stages of this tournament despite placing second in their group but since then they've taken down two massive sides who uh, at least I expected to go deep into this tournament in Columbus Crew and San Jose Earthquakes Uh, they took down Columbus Crew uh, they they drew in regular time 1-1 and beat them 5-3 on penalties and then they beat San Jose just coming off the back of a 5-2 win uh, over Real Salt Lake they took them down uh, 4-1 and 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 really handed them a huge game. So I have to ask, what is it about their performances in the knockout rounds that have really raised their game, not just a level, but really based on what I've seen, several levels? Uh, well, the first the first thing I think that needs talking about um, is what I mentioned before about Jan Gregus and Osvaldo Alonso. Ozzy Alonso in the midfield, I think Adrian Heath deployed them perfectly where the screening the centre backs, you know, the the restricting the the creative players on the opposition, so no one can play through them. The, you know, the, the number tens can't get into those little holes because those holes don't exist anymore because because they're blocking them out basically. Um, so I think that the two midfielders and Adrian Heath collectively they all deserve a, a big sort of a big amount of praise for that. One player in particular I really did want to want to touch on was Hassani Dotson. Um, I covered the San Jose Minnesota game, and he was an absolute force of nature. He was up and down. I mean, we all know that you know he can play in midfield and as a fullback. He, he was at right back last night. He was up and down that right flank. Honestly, I, I was waiting for him to run out of energy and burnout, but he just kept going. Whether it was tackling, it was interceptions, he was high pressing, putting dangerous balls into the box. He just he had a bit of everything last night. Uh, I think he epitomised Minnesota's. Uh, game plan and, and their attitude to the game perfectly against San Jose, where they were they were trying to catch San Jose out quickly high up the pitch, 
And then when they did get the ball, we all know about San Jose's man-to-man marking. But if you're, transi- if you're transitioning quick, you don't give that time to settle. You're going to cause overloads all over the pitch. And I thought I thought Dotson really spearheaded that perfectly. If he can pull that kind of performance out against Orlando next time out, then I can really see them getting to the final and possibly winning it. Well, and one of the things that we've seen uh, since Adrian Heath has taken over at, uh, at Minnesota United is the is the emphasis on work rate from each player that's in the outfield, each player that's on the pitch, and, and how important that is to really executing his game plan uh, going forward. How much do you think that work rate specifically is going to be important against an Orlando City uh, that we'll, we'll come on to a little bit later, but really just hasn't really showcased that they're they've really come out of the blocks in this tournament yet? Well, I think with Minnesota, especially being without Ike Opara at centre-back, we all know how important he is to Minnesota. So if if he's not there, you, you're going to need to keep the ball away from your own box a lot more than you normally would. Uh, you can't rely on him to sort of make those those big last-ditch tackles or sort of suck the ball into him like he does, uh, which, which is where... Like Hassani Dotson last night, that, that's why I mentioned how much he's, he led that high press. But it was a team effort, um, making sure that San Jose couldn't get any rhythm on the ball. And when they did turn it over, like I said, don't let San Jose drop into their defensive shape either. So, yeah, I think Minnesota don't have the individual quality of some of the other teams in MLS. But we've we've seen from last night's performance what a, what a team effort can do. And, I mean... <sighs> Orlando have done well to get this far, but I think this at this point now I would actually take Minnesota as favourites, which again brings its own set of challenges. But I think working well as a team, they seem cohesive on and off the ball. So I think he's done a great job there. Um, one other thing I think I should mention about him is Robin Lodd came into this tournament with one goal for Minnesota and he scored two in this tournament, which just shows how much of a team effort this really has been, that they're spreading it around everyone at the moment. And Brady, to to bring you in on on Minnesota's opponents, uh, you know, like we said before, uh, Orlando City. Th- the best way that I can put it is that they don't look like they're getting out of second or third gear in just about every performance that I've that I've seen of them um, in this tournament. And normally, that's a good thing. If you're not getting out of second and third gear and you're beating teams without really trying, then awesome. But Orlando look like they're working exceptionally hard. To be exceptionally average, and and that that has somehow gotten them a place in the semifinals of this tournament. Their best performance, I think, was was this past week in the quarterfinals against LAFC, and even then, that had to be taken to penalties. So, talk to me about Orlando here. Is do you see them? Do you see them? It's weird to be talking a sem- about a semifinal team struggling, but do you see that struggle that they've been that that I think that they've been having on the pitch, uh, causing issues against this very very electric Minnesota United team? Well, first of all, I, I kind of agree with Chris that I, I like Minnesota, so everybody out there can can probably throw a, a tenner on Orlando confidently and and see them through. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I've I've loved watching this Orlando team in the tournament. I, I think uh, we talked about uh, how there was probably some question marks about uh, how seriously some teams were taking this tournament, be it you know Toronto FC or or some of the other teams who were perhaps using it as a as a means of of just getting getting up the match fitness and kind of working their way into the regular season. But with Orlando, I think it's it's very clear from from their reaction the other night after that penalty shootout that you know, they're all in for this one, especially. 
with the tournament being being at not on home field per se, but but there in Orlando. Um, yeah, I, one of the great things about this tournament is you know I've I've grown up watching the World Cup and and the Euro and and such events, and it's not always necessarily kind of the consensus favorite or the you know the the on paper best eleven that ends up winning the tournament. It's the team that kind of kind of finds a way to get things done, and it's not necessarily always you know, to textbook, but yeah, that's, that's Orlando to a T, you know, they started off the tournament with a, with a winner at the death against inter Miami and then against LAFC, it took a 90th minute goal. And, and like you said, ultimately penalties to go through, but I, I, I wouldn't call it a fluke because they're undefeated through five games. So that, that would, that would seem harsh. Um, I think this is something that to, to, to genuinely build on. They've, they've had a pretty rough go with major league soccer since they've entered the league and, they, they they haven't they haven't been in a playoffs. I know this is not necessarily the playoffs, but it, these are probably the biggest games of the franchise's history to date. Um, the biggest concern for me is some of the injuries they had in the quarterfinal with with Chris Mueller and and Robin Jansen at the back, both both having to leave the game through injury. So so hopefully they're they're going to be ready to go for the semifinal. Um, if they're going to bow out, and, you know, and get so close, it, it would be nice to see them at least do it with their, with their best 11. But uh, yeah, they've, they've certainly, they've, they've been energetic. Uh, They've been, you know, they've certainly stuck to a game plan at times. Uh, I'm not sure it's been glaringly obvious what that is, but you know, they're pressing teams and, and, and they're certainly in it to win it. And yeah, I I think it would be silly to count them out at this point, especially with just how unpredictable every, every match has been. No, I think that's actually I think that's actually a great point. I know I know I you know I, in my question I probably downtrod on them uh, a little bit, but I do think that that's a really good point about this side is that they do have they do have a they've placed this certain level of importance on being here because this is like you said the the farthest that they've ever made it into any competition that they've that they've been a part of since their um, you know freshman freshman season in the league. So you know couple that with the you know with the grit to to grind out results even even. Even when they're not playing their best, you know that may very well end up being quite the test for Minnesota uh, whenever they do play. Um, I'm going to stick with you real quick uh, and and transfer over to Portland. Portland is one of the teams that we we haven't really covered a whole bunch, so I do want to I do want to kind of get a general sense from you about about what this team is about and and, and how they're looking going into the semifinal. Uh, they topped Group F uh, with two wins and a draw, which you wouldn't have expected in a group that also contained both Los Angeles teams. They struggled to create, albeit understandably, against Cincinnati, but they did end up winning on penalties, and they used that momentum to go and and really put a hurting on NYCFC in the quarterfinals. Talk to me about what you've seen from them this tournament, and and really whether whether we can consider them a, a, a real contender here. It's almost a, it's almost a little ironic that you know that we haven't really had a lot of love for for the Timbers on here because. You know, the final four teams left, I, I would say that it, they're probably the least surprising to to have reached this stage, at least for me. I mean, you look at the success they've had in recent years, obviously MLS Cup winners in, in 2015 and and runners up as well just two years ago when they, when they lost to Atlanta in the final. So, you know, the winning pred- pedigree, sorry, it, it, it's certainly there. And, and obviously they have a pretty veteran team. So a lot of these guys are, you know, your Diego Charas and you know, uh, Blanco, Valeri, these are guys that, that have been there for a while. It's still the same group. They're not the youngest team in the league, but, you know, in, in a short tournament like this, the experience is probably one of one of the greatest uh, assets that a team can have. Um, but yeah, against NYCFC, they, you know, they conceded that they're probably not going to, they're probably not going to outpossess them. They're, they're just 
they're, they're willing to sit back and, and show a bit of patience. And when they get opportunities, make the most of them. And, and we, we seen that on, on the three of their goals where it's kind of moments of individual brilliance rather than, rather than the slow buildup that we might see from New York. So yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been great from the start in this tournament and, and, and frankly, maybe we shouldn't be too surprised about it. And, and I liked, I liked a lot of the decisions that, uh, that their coach that, uh, Giovanni Cerese made in this one against New York, uh, he opted not to start Valeri and, and in hindsight that obviously proved to be a great decision because, you know, he's, he's 34 years old. He might not necessarily have the legs that he once did, but you know, he's still a game breaker for the Timbers and, and he proved that with the goal and, and, uh, and the substitute uh, Polo as well with a with a cracker of a goal to to kind of put the game out of reach. So, yeah, between Chara, Valeri, and Blanco, obviously, you know they're they're running out of years. But but that trio of players is is arguably one of the best in, in Major League Soccer, and, and and they continue to prove that. So, like I said, the the, the clock might be ticking on, on this roster, and I'm not sure what it'll look like, you know, in in three or four years. But you know, as it stands, they're they're probably one of the safest bets left, but as we've said, I'm not. I, I, I wouldn't double down on on that bet because we've had a tough go of it with the with regards to predictions. <laughs> well, you you mentioned you mentioned their important players there as well as uh, you know how how good of a tournament that Yaroslav Niezgoda has had as well, and and especially on the experience note, you know, I, I, I know I wrote a piece for uh, WFI at the very beginning of the tournament, ta- looking at Philadelphia union and, and the youth that they, um, that they've been trying to inject into this team uh, for, for this tournament. And, you know, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to come on to Chris here in a little bit to talk about one very specifically, but generally speaking, uh, you know, union, Union haven't necessarily looked brilliant in any of their matches, and and the in Portland, like you had said, they're uh, they've 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 won out. Um, they've won every game, or excuse me, they've uh, you know they've not lost. So you know, especially combined with that that experience going into the semifinal match between Portland and Philadelphia, do you think that um, you know, obviously without getting too in depth into the predictions, so that we don't absolutely screw them over, um, do you think that uh, do you think that that experience with Portland is more important in in the context of this tournament, uh, than than Philadelphia's more more youthful take, it certainly makes for for an intriguing matchup. Kind of a you know the the two the the two kind of very different sides. The contrast between youth and and, and like we said with the veteran experience of Portland. So I, I don't want to. I honestly just don't even want to predict a winner at this point. I, I want. I just want to see it play out. I want to see how how they how they manage. How Portland managed to use Valeri and, and, and Blanco and and Chara, and Chara to to get the most out of those guys, with obviously an eye on the final, with it you know just being a couple of days rest once again. But yeah, I mean the Philly have been a revelation in this tournament, and Aronson's certainly at the forefront of that. I know Chris will definitely kind of give us the specifics on that. But yeah, I think this is kind of a great example of of the two extremes of of what a major league soccer roster can look like, and. And it could be kind of a, a kind of a passing of the torch per se in this one, but uh, like I said, I'm I'm not willing to count Portland out just based on the way that they've been able to find a way to get it done the past you know half decade. I think something that plays into Portland's hands in this one as well, in in this semi final is we saw how good Philadelphia were on the break against SKC in the in the previous round. I don't think that's something that you're going to get the chance to do against the Timbers. Uh, twofold that they're never really a team that opens themselves up to that kind of opportunity anyway they're always sort of 
a team that will will keep the back door shut. Um, they'll keep a nice solid defensive structure. Uh, and you mentioned Diego Chara, but you know he's he's one of the best holding midfielders in MLS. Well, that MLS has ever seen, in my opinion. And if you're going to counter attack, I wouldn't do it against him because he's he's an expert in breaking it up. I think the other thing as well, you, you know, you mentioned Blanco, Valeri, Chara. I'd even put Jeremy Obovici into that conversation as well. I looked through the other three teams and if down to sort of player to player, I don't see anyone with as many match winners as as the Timbers. So mm. they've got they've kind of ghosted their way to this level, but who's to say they're not going to go and win it? I mean, I've said that they're going to go and win it now, which means they're going to get knocked out, but you, you've got to get my premise. <laughs> oh, definitely. That means Union's going to put four on them and Diego Chara's not going to break <laughs> yeah. up one counterattack now. <laughs> Self-esteem in this episode is amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, 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 the day that we get one of these predictions right, every single listener will know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, to uh, to stick with you on the on the last team here, uh, the Philadelphia Union, another side that has seemed to have kind of drugged their way through the group stages and, and really kicked on from there. Uh, their entire forward line, the not even their forward line, really. The everything about the attacking phase of the game is is kind of being dictated right now by a nineteen year old pulling all the strings. And oddly enough, it's working exceptionally well for them. Uh, let's 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 keep talking and, and getting a little bit more into the influence. of of Brendan Aronson in this team, um, you know, and, and, and how, and how much he's made an impact, uh, despite not necessarily getting on the score sheet and despite not necessarily having, you know, all of the assists over the course of the tournament. Uh, talk to me about, uh, how much of the attacking phases of play for union basically revolve entirely around him. Yeah. I mean, it was the player that I picked out last week as sort of a, a dark horse to watch until the end of the tournament, if, you, if you're not looking for sort of the, the obvious big hitters. And I think he, for once, we actually got a prediction right where he really showed that against SKC. His assist for Sergio Santos says it all. Like, the way he turned out of pressure, the, the the pass on its own was incredible and impressive enough, but the way he turned out of the pressure as if, as if the two opposition players weren't even there was just incredible for a 19-year-old. Um you know, as I mentioned, they, they played well in the break against SKC. They might not get the chance to do that against the Timbers, but with someone like Aronson there, who's able to sort of basically put it on a put it on a, on a pinhead from from yards and yards away, he's perfectly capable of unlocking that defense, even if it's tightly packed in. So, I think he's going to play a huge role. And moreover, as well, we, you know, we've we've seen the links to Celtic. We've seen the links to the Bundesliga in, in recent weeks. I think if he pulls out another performance like he did against SKC, I think the Union are going to have a lot of uh, a lot of phone calls over the next couple of weeks, and, and rightly so, because while he's not been the the standout player of the tournament, and he, he's not been a standout player in MLS for the last couple of years, for his age, he's, he's hummed along brilliantly, and he's shown that I think if you get some sort of more potent attackers around him, he, he could be a, a really top class player. Well, and and to to especially when you look at Philadelphia Union, it, you, they don't necessarily have the most exciting forward line. They don't necessarily have the most exciting wingers. Yeah, as, as a as an avid U.S. Men's National Team fan, I have a deep seated love for Alejandro Bedoya, but you you wouldn't necessarily call 
most of what Union has to offer going forward, um, electric or or pacey or or prolific in any sense. But one of the things that I think I found the most about Aronson watching him in this tournament is that he provides that electricity to a team that doesn't have it, and he 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 understands the. The, the players that he's playing with so well that he's able to operate in those attacking phases of play in a in a way that is beneficial to the forwards that he, he that he uses you know a lot of times when you see um you know when you see this the, this big pacey technical um you know good on the ball attacking midfielder and and especially when they play centrally sometimes sometimes they'll have issues playing with forwards that don't necessarily curtail to their style of play and Aronson clearly doesn't have any problems doing that so it it really does showcase I think why there is so much interest from Europe um that that may end up prying him away from Union earlier than they'd like yeah well but this is the thing He's not like an out and out number ten where you're only gonna get sort of a sort of through balls and sort of hovering behind the striker. Yeah, he's he's great at that, which he's already shown, but he's playing on a team that does like to try and, and try and hit the opposition on the break when he can, and he's he's got plenty of pace to do that. He's got the awareness to be in the right positions and make the right runs to sort of take a defender with him, or if somebody else does that for him, he can exploit the space. I think it's 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 that sort of adaptability offensively and, and that sort of intelligence that really it's making a, a lot of teams from Europe look at him because if, you, if you're playing in the Champions League or, or you're going or the Europa League or anything like that you're going to come up, come up against a wide variety of teams that are going to either sit in against you or they're going to press you high up and you need players who are used to sort of dealing with anything that it can throw at you and I think Aronson's definitely one of those guys or he at least has great potential to be one of the great things about Aronson too that I've kind of noticed in this tournament is, is his performances have, have just gotten better as the level of competition has kind of elevated and obviously the stakes have gotten higher. So I, I think that's that's important to note with, like you said, Chris, with the potential for European football, be it the Europa League or, or Champions League, uh, you know, questions over, you know, can, can he do it when, you know, when the kind of the stakes are, are highest and, and the level of competition is kind of growing week in, week out and Obviously, it's a small sample size, and, and the level's not not exactly parallel. But I mean, the signs are certainly there for for a nineteen year old to to have the the nuances in midfield to figure out like he does, and then obviously to be able to break a game open with a pass like like we see in DeSantos is is certainly signs for 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 interest from Europe. And, and obviously, we're not the only ones to to be paying attention. Well, and one thing that I do want to touch on, since we have talked about a lot of European interest in this kid, is uh, you know I know I know Chris, you work a lot with with Squawka and other sites on the European leagues, and and a lot of what I've been reading here recently, as far as the the Bundesliga sides that that are potentially interested in them, uh, they they contain at the very least Borussia Mönchengladbach, Eintracht Frankfurt, Hoffenheim, and SC Freiburg, as well as the aforementioned Celtic. And just as a just as a fun little exercise here at the end, as well as to inject a little bit of uh, European play into this. Where do you think he he fits in most into the sides that we have seen interested in him? I, I, just sitting here thinking about it, listening to you two talk, I have my pick that I'll I'll come on to after after you get the chance to talk. But you know, if he does end up making that move, where do you think it might be smartest for him to go? Personally, avoid Celtic. Uh, I'm, I'm actually I have a bit of a soft spot for Celtic. I've watched them quite a few times, but. I, 
I do see the Scottish League as a bit of a sideways step for him now with with the ambitions that everyone's got for Aronson. But I think out of the teams you just mentioned there, I think I think Borussia Mönchengladbach could be a great fit. Uh, when I was covering the Bundesliga on its return for Squawker, they were they were one of the teams that really impressed me. Um, sort of on a game to game basis, they've got got some like Florian Neuhaus is a great great holding midfielder, really good on the ball, intelligent with his position. I think he could be a great sort of player to sort of guide Aronson and play behind him. And the forwards are, are really fast, really interchangeable, quite strong, good on the ball, good at dropping into spaces and, and letting runners go beyond them. So I think I think sort of the, the players that he's going to be playing off and, and playing to and, and servicing, I think Borussia Mönchengladbach have, have got the best setup for him. See, the first one that came to my mind was Hoffenheim after really getting the chance to see Christoph Baumgartner uh, play in that Hoffenheim team. Um, you know, you've got you've got guys like Grilich and Sebastian Rudy in behind. You've got guys like Dabber up in front, Skov and Larson on either side. And Baumgartner has really he, – he really plays a lot like I think Aronson plays. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Baumgartner potentially making a move up into one of the, the upper echelons of – um, uh, of the Bundesliga, uh, there's been a little bit of Premier League interest in him as well, um, and especially if Christoph Baumgartner does go, then I you, you can almost take a guy like Aronson and slot him right in, and the style of play doesn't have to change, which I think would be an exciting prospect for Hoffenheim and an exciting prospect for Aronson. Um, you know, obviously with a couple of hypotheticals there, uh, potentially getting him into the into first team football or or starting uh, very quickly. Yeah, well. Hoffenheim have got a great record with with youth development anyway, both with players and with coaches. So you know you know he's going to be in safe hands if you went there, and it would be another good tactical fit for sure. Um, I think the one thing that this does show is the the talent of the guy because these German clubs don't just sort of pick up a random player who has two good games and and that's it. They, you know they they check out the players for quite a long time. They do the the due diligence, and mm-hmm. it, it's a real credit to Aronson that clubs of that level that you know Champions League and Europa League clubs are sniffing around them at the moment yeah I think I think I think both Hoffenheim and and Mönchengladbach are, are great shouts for Aronson I think the Bundesliga in general is just stylistically a great matchup for for kind of his skill set and you know I've I've often been posed the question about Jonathan David he's a, obviously an exciting Canadian player of a, of a similar age to Aronson and and, and Mönchengladbach was one team that was proposed as an option for David and and I, I like the way that they play football and I think for any young attacking uh, option I think that would be certainly an exciting team to walk into the issue with David for me was where does he kind of slot in with with some of the forwards they've already got but for Aronson I think he kind of just adds a new dynamic to an an already potent attack and and one that's obviously going to have the chance to showcase their abilities on the big stage in European football next year. So, yeah, I I love the idea of Aronson playing in the Bundesliga and the the number of Americans continues to grow and how many are getting an opportunity in the Bundesliga at such a young age. So, yeah, I I like, I like Hoffenheim as well, but I think Mönchengladbach would, would be, would be a fantastic, fantastic opportunity for, for both parties. 
speaking briefly on on David, the only other side that I've seen, I know that he's got a lot of interest and a lot of buzz around him, but the only other side that I've seen almost concretely uh, have interest in him is Aston Villa, uh, as well as Borussia Mönchengladbach. So um, I think if both of those teams table an offer, I, I'm, I've got a pretty good guess who he might pick. Um, and hopefully you'd see that kid in, in, in Germany shortly after. <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of interest from Lille as well in France and it's kind of kind of some some issues with the logistics with regards to numbers, but uh, I think that's kind of just the transfer market right now with the you know kind of the current climate we're in. So yeah, that'll be uh, certainly another North American name that we're interested to see where, where he'll end up. And uh, I think it's it's a good problem to have for, for followers of the of the of the beautiful game here in North America for some of these guys to be to be kind of moving on at such a young age. I think we need to just kind of sit back and 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 put that in perspective of how much growth we've seen. Pen this into your schedules, boys. When there's a break after the MLS's back tournament is done and uh, as we await the beginning of the regular season, we really need to sit down and do a scouting podcast for some of these big North American talents. I think that would just be – I think that's going to be one of the things that we're going to have to do because you, you're absolutely right, Brady. You hit it on the head. There's a lot There's a lot of talent over here that is, that is being considered for for big European moves, and it, it just goes to showcase really in the last – oh. I'd say three or four years, just how much of a step forward, um, you know, North American soccer has taken into producing these talents. And, and I think that would be, that would be a blast to cover. 100%. Definitely. Um, I mean, we, we've, we've talked about a couple there, but I mean, I'm sure if we spent even just 20 minutes on, on MLS right now, you can look at say, even Efren Alvarez has barely got a sniff at LA galaxy, but from what we've seen, what we've all seen of him, he's got great talent. Ibrahimovic has, has spoken highly of him before. So, you know, you look through the league and there's there's a ton of talent just just waiting to go and make its mark there. So, I think and that's definitely something we need to dig into. All right, boys, I'm going to ask you to do it. I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy for um, the the teams that we do pick because they will inevitably lose. But I'm I'm going to pose this to you because I think. With the semifinals upon us, it would be a disservice not to embarrass ourselves one last time before we record next. Um, Chris, pick the final. Philadelphia Union against Minnesota United. And Brady, where where, where do you sit? I'm going to go Portland Timbers, Minnesota United. So I, I you can almost confirm Portland Timbers, Orlando City final. We, there's no way one of us is going two for two here. And honestly, since I was going to say uh, Philadelphia Union and Minnesota United as well, Orlando, welcome to the final. Uh, we're really happy to see you here. We're going to get a world of pain off, uh, off Orlando fans on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, I think we're going to wrap it up. This has been episode four of your North American soccer show. I'm your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR. Brady, let everybody know where they can find you and uh, and let us know what's what's got you interested to work on this week uh, for WFI. Yeah, as always, you can you can find me on, on Twitter with some dodgy predictions at uh, Brady Reed underscore and, and World Football Index, obviously. We'll be we'll be focusing on the semifinals and maybe maybe telling you what already happened rather than trying to predict what's going to happen just so we, we we can be a little bit happier with the with the finished product. But yeah, we're certainly excited for for these semifinals. 
And Chris, let everybody know where you're at and let them know just how nice it will be once the finals are over to just, you know, tuck in sometimes, man, and and get some sleep before, you know, 3 and 4 and, and 6 a.m. And, and all that fun stuff. Oh, what what even is sleep? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be catching up on a bit of sleep for the next day or two, just ahead of the semifinals and then sort of holding my breath and diving in to those late nights again. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at CJSmith91. As I say, I'm going to be going to be covering the semifinals and then obviously there after the final. Let's see what happens. And that will take care of us for this week. Join us next week as we inevitably will end up covering the semifinal and final going absolutely the exact opposite of what we predicted it to and look forward to us expanding our coverage into true North American soccer uh, in the coming weeks. So thank you for joining us and we will see you next week.